Welcome to another episode of the Coffee with Recruiter podcast. I'm your host, Jose. Today, we're speaking with Will Beaton, the head of people of MyTutor. Will's had an unusual start as a people expert and is implementing people initiatives at his company from scratch. How do you become a head of people? How do you implement your first onboarding, career progression, and diversity initiatives? We'll find out about this and much more on the Coffee with a Recruiter podcast. Okay, we're recording now. Hello, Will. How are you? Hey, hey. I'm very good, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, very good, very good. Uh, I would I would ask you how your weekend was, but I'm pretty sure, you know, as as pretty much with everyone that I ask, it's it's been maybe a very chill one, a very sort of easygoing one, or were you up to anything special? Exactly, yeah. Lots <laughs> of walking, lots of cycling, getting any bit of sun that I could. Um, and that, that's it, really. Pretty much the same old, same old. Yeah, exploring the great indoors also, uh, you know. Um, yeah, from my side also, I mean, I keep telling everyone, like, I keep exploring every park in, like, a five-kilometer radius around my house, and I'm riding out of parks to visit, you know. So, uh, yeah, very much looking forward to this lockup being lifted, right? Um, so thank you so much yeah. for taking the time for this um, for this podcast. The reason I really wanted to have a discussion with you is because... Well, you're you're ahead of people, and uh, you took a very unusual um, unusual route into into being a people person, right? I mean, the the traditional route, right? Let's put it that way. But the traditional route is like, oh, you know, you start as a recruiter, or maybe as an uh, as an HR generalist, something along those lines. But you know, due to your background, and I guess you'll you'll get into that. Um, you had to you know jump into it and take initiative and. Uh, and and learn new things in a very short period of time, you know. So, uh, you know, talk about a baptism of fire, as they say. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, can you can you maybe give us a, an intro um, to to yourself and 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 your current role and and what you do? Maybe a little bit of history also in between. Yeah, sure thing. So, I guess to to start off, uh, my name is Will, um, and I'm head of people at my tutor. My tutor is a, an online tutoring marketplace. So we work both B2C, so that's parents who are looking for tuition for their sort of children, as well as B2B. Um, so we work directly with the government and schools, um, providing support to, to pupils that way as well. And then it's also interesting because like your deliveries and your, your Ubers, there's also a supply side for business. So instead of drivers with Uber Eat, we have our tutors. Our tutors are all sort of um, recent graduates or current undergraduates. Um, so it's sort of close to near peer um, and they're kind of subject experts, you know, really passionate about what they do um, and, you know, can build great relationships with their, with their students. So that's sort of my tutor. Uh, in terms of me, uh, I've been at the company for about five years and it's, it's the only job I've ever had, really. I, I went university traveling and then and then sort of found myself at my tutor. And you mentioned a little bit about um, the unique journey. And I guess that that is true. And when I initially started, I guess, you know, when you join an early stage company, um, it's kind of hard to define a role. You know, you, you do have a title, but um, you're basically doing a little bit of everything. And I was really sort of focusing on like customer operations, really. There were some sales in there and, and maybe some sort of contract work, but um, you know, for the first three years of my career, I was very much um, on the customer side of things and on the B2B side. And 
Um, yeah, about three years in, there was an opportunity to jump across to the B2C side, still predominantly on customer operations, but uh, with the role, it was sort of like, look, you know, this is a great opportunity for you, Will. Uh, the B2C side of the platform at this stage was a bit more mature and um, it was a great opportunity for me. But they said, look, if you're taking this head of ops role, you also need to focus on the people. And we weren't a huge team at the time, maybe just under 50. So it was only a smallish part of my role, maybe like 20% of what I, what I was doing. So I sort of took it on. I was like, sure, I, you know, I don't mind doing that. Any new experiences, good experience. Um, but I really didn't see it as part, you know, core part of my role or where I kind of wanted to, to end up. And then it was quite unique in that we, you know, last March, we had lockdown, we had to go to full remote. Um, and that in itself was, you know, a big challenge, particularly for myself, who was relatively inexperienced in the, in the people function. Suddenly we're moving an entire company to remote ways of working and we need to support everyone in that. So we were kind of just getting to grips with that. And then suddenly my tutor went through, you know, luckily a really, a really big uptick in, in demand. And, you know, I guess as an online tutoring business, whereas that used to be a bit of a, a headwind that was kind of slowing us down, suddenly it's a tailwind and we've been ready to switch to online for a long time. So the company, you know, over the space of about six months um, went from, you know, as I was saying, like less than 50 to maybe 140 um, in a very, very short space of time. So that meant what was originally sort of 20% of my role probably became something like 110% of my role. It was just a, a massive area of focus and it, it couldn't just be an afterthought. And I had a decision to make of whether uh, we wanted to bring in a head of people, uh, maybe with some experience to take on that part of my role and I could just do the customer operations side of things. Um, or the other way, and, and I decided, obviously, to, to pick the people route. Um, so I became full head of people um, about last October. Um, and, and I've not looked back since, uh, really. Um, and I think as the role's now fallen, I guess it's what I focus on and what my team focus on is, it's really just the entire employee journey. So um, we kind of like to think of like the pillars of what you need to support them on and I guess you've got the sort of more recruitment side of things, which is the employer brand uh, and recruitment. Then you move through to onboarding, um, you know, that that first starting of your journey into a company. You then sort of have the more kind of employee experience side of things. So performance, progression, uh, and then right the way through to exit, which is often the one people forget about, but just as important that you have as a good, a good of exit as you did on onboarding. So they're, they're, they're my like main focuses at the moment. And that's kind of, how my my role progressed and uh, and that's what I have uh, been focused and what I'm focusing on now. Well, you said something very interesting, which is that uh, you know internal and maybe I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but internal maybe discussion at my tutor where you had to weigh the pros and cons and discuss. Well, okay, do we get a new uh, a, a, an external person right to mm -hmm. to become head of head of people or do do maybe maybe you can do it right like becoming the head of people yourself. I mean, what were what was that discussion like? Was it more a case of, you know, I'm already kind of doing 20%, so I might as well do 80% of my time um, in head of people? Or what was, you know, what 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 was the tipping point almost? What was mm -hmm. the argument that pushed things the other way? So I think, well, when we had, the, by the time we kind of had the conversation of, you know, this, you know, we can't have, you know, me delivering on both of these roles. I think the balance had already tipped a bit. And, you know, uh, the people was the main part of my role at this point, really. 
globally and and that's because it was the most urgent and probably the most important the you know the the, the customer operation side of things um were were able to manage themselves a little bit more but um whereas actually i probably say i didn't say this when i when it was sort of the 20 percent palm oil i was the only person doing people so we didn't have a team at all at that time um so when when kind of things needed focus it had to be me that did it there wasn't really any extra support that we could pull on so it really did sort of switch already even when i was managing both roles you know it became 80 people 20 customer ops um and you know we probably saw that uh the people function was probably was working quite well but the customer operation side of things probably were suffering a bit so we we knew that one of these had to give and i think with my tutor they're, they're fantastic and they really let me make a decision they they thought that i'd performed well enough and either aspect of the business to pick it as the core part of my role they're always championing championing internal progression and they want to do right by their their employees so they really put the decision on me and it's kind of what i wanted for my career and i guess i felt that it was the people space was such an exciting place to be at my tutor you know it's really greenfield i say we'd not really had a team so i was able to build that out we're going to go, be going through hyper growth. Um, so there was lots to focus on, lots of stuff that was going to come under pressure. And, you know, I just do love a challenge. So the idea of kind of being a part of that was fantastic. And I think actually what's quite interesting, and, and it's maybe something that that other companies could, could look at, is the idea of when you decide to build that people function, potentially looking at internal candidates who've got that institutional knowledge, because... I think, you know, when you, you grow rapidly, um, it, it can be difficult to kind of maintain the sort of culture. Um, so where you kind of do have someone that's got that institutional knowledge that you can pull on, they kind of know how things worked and how you, even though you scale, would like things to continue to work, but just to refine those processes. So I think it actually worked quite well uh, that we that, that I was uh, given that opportunity um and then what we can do is and what we've been trying to do is then bring in external expertise within that team so you know i can kind of bring the the my tutor side of things to the team and then as we're starting to build out we're getting recruitment experts um you know people partners we're looking at learning and development highs in the future you know, marketing to focus on employer brands so you can really add in that expertise as you go but i think there is some value to be to be had for having um, that kind of institutional knowledge as part of that team as you go through rapid scaling. Well, you mentioned something interesting, which was, okay, you know, now you're the, the people person or the head of people, it's time to build out a team, right? Um, was there maybe, this is maybe a segue into the other question, but what, maybe was there a, a strategy, right? A strategy into how to build that people team? Or was it maybe more improvised? Like, okay, you know, um, what do we need first? Okay, we need a, maybe a people generalist or a, or a junior recruiter. So let's start with what we need now instead of building out a, a long-term two-year plan, something along those lines. Like what was the early stage sort of plan like? Yeah, so I think there's definitely, it's kind of came in both parts. So the first one, you know, when I'm still new into my role and, and probably didn't have the headspace to even think, you know, strategically or long-term really, um, it was very much just about what, What's the immediate problem we need to fix? Well, there's not enough time in the day for Will to do what he needs to do. So let's get him some support from someone who's worked in like a scaling company like this. So we went for a people generalist. Then the next the next kind of headcount was, okay, we're going through this massive scaling. 
we need um, recruitment support because we need to start recruiting. Let's get let's get that in. But then what that's allowed me to do in my role is take a little bit of a step back, work with my managers, the CFO, and also very close with the CEO to define a strategy and look a little bit more long-term. So what we did, it was quite a fun process. We thought about um, a kind of an employee's, um, like an employee like Glassdoor review. It's like a pretend kind of aspirational Glassdoor review. So if, if we'd done our job perfectly, what kind of review would an employee be leaving after they left the company? And, and I think I touched about the pillars before, but we looked about it with uh, employer brand, you've got recruitment, you've got onboarding, you've got performance, employee experience, which is kind of the more the softer side, so like well-being and the policies that support stuff like maternity and paternity, uh, paternity leave. Um, progression and then through to exit. So we kind of had these seven pillars and the aspirational aspects of it. And then we sort of said, okay, you know, um, where do we kind of rank ourselves now on these? Almost like a bit of an audit, you know, how well could we scale the process that we have and, and you know, how much of a priority is it to focus on this? And then from there, we were allowed, we kind of worked on, okay, what are our priorities for the quarter? And then from there, it's okay, what team do we need to, to hit those? So that sort of allowed us to give a bit of a better uh, longer term view on, on, on how I want to build the team. And I think I'm really excited um, about as we grow is like adding more kind of specialists into the team. So, you know, I talked about learning and development, but we really want to start looking at kind of marketing, you know, how we're attracting people into the company um, and that employer brand piece. Um, we've already kind of got a recruiter but also there are areas like diversity and inclusion, you know, particularly if we go into international expansion, how can we kind of make sure they've got a kind of a coherent culture across multiple territories? So bringing that sort of expertise into the business. And then what we want to do is, if you think about, you've got on one side, you've got your experts in each individual area who own those processes. So, you know, learning and development, they'll own maybe onboarding and progression as they'll be the leaders in that, but then also to partner them across the business. So, you might have your marketing people expert who deals with employer brand also partners with the marketing team and that and that partnering can then make sure that when we're rolling out processes they make sure they're rolled out effectively they can pick up any problems in the team and and you know work to resolve those so that's how we're kind of looking to build this team out like adding in experts and adding partnering partnering in as a process because at the moment because we're such a small team it's, it's kind of partnering is very reactive. So, you know, someone has an issue that we need to support with rather than, you know, we want to proactively be partnering with them, understanding that either business and, and helping them drive change. That makes perfect sense. I mean, if you're in a smaller company, you could still be in the position where you can have fewer people doing a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. But as you grow, you'll need specialists, right? That So people that can single task one particular area of the business and really develop subject matter expertise and and a specialism in that particular area. Um, now, one thing that I was wondering, right, is that, um, you know, you, it's, it's, so you started doing 20% people type, type uh, responsibilities at my tutor, but naturally, you know, you had to quickly almost change roles, or I don't know if overnight, but really quickly, right? Um, which meant um, a lot of new areas of the business to 
to discover and new responsibilities, new tasks um, that are very, well, people related, right? So I was wondering sort of how did you maybe re-educate re yourself or upskill yourself into, into the new responsibilities you had? Like what sort of maybe, you know, courses or people did you go to or how did you learn the new areas of the business and, and responsibilities that you had so quickly? Mm -hmm. So it's definitely, it's definitely had to be in a multi-pronged attack about how I could kind of upskill myself in these areas because th there has been a lot to learn. And probably the one I'd speak to the most, that I think it's had the most impact is the network that I'm in. So it's a, it's a group called People Stories. It's free for anyone to enter. Um, maybe you can share the link afterwards. It's, it's, a great, it's a great space. And there's probably, you know, 200 plus kind of like-minded you know, similar companies at, at similar stages, maybe even smaller, maybe ones that have grown a little bit more. And and then what that allowed you to do is one, because it's a sort of a, you know, a network people are sharing the questions they have. Um, you can kind of understand what other businesses are thinking about and that helps you think about those. Obviously, of course, then people will then share their answers. Um, you can feed in as well with your own problems and potentially if you've got solutions, so it's really helping each other. Uh, they run workshops. So again, where you've got to, maybe a slightly bigger question that no one's got a clear view on, put that in, eight of us can jump in a group and we can, we can kind of hash it out and, and get some really good action. So that's probably the best thing that happened to me, um, if I'm honest, and I, I don't know where I'd be without it. I think a second thing was I enrolled in CIPD, level five, um, which like it's quite a lot of work. So I, I wouldn't say it's a, uh, an easy decision to make if someone's thinking about it in a people role, it, it does require quite a lot of effort. You know, it's kind of 12 months of your time. You've got a hand in every kind of one to two months. And, you know, it does have its usefulness in that it kind of adds the theory to some of the stuff that you've probably been doing anyway and been thinking about. But sometimes it's a little bit restrictive in that maybe the content was made a few years ago. Things have moved on a bit more now. So the answers that you get maybe in my the People Stories group is going to be a lot more creative and forward thinking than something that you'd find in CIPD. But saying that, particularly with maybe the more legal aspects and the things that haven't changed a lot, they can be really helpful. Um, so that, that's one for people to think about. I then think the, the next best thing I've done is basically bring in a team that are better than I am. Um, so, you know, bringing people who have got that scale-up experience, bringing people that have recruited, you know, at high, high velocity over long periods of time, um, so that's been a really great thing, just bringing the expertise in, learning from them, make, uh, helping enable them to deliver on their roles. And then I guess the last one, the smaller one, is just there's so many useful bits of you know, content out there. Uh, I quite like an audio book, so I usually have a couple of audio books uh, you know, in a month that I can get through, um, particularly around you know, culture. There's some really good books like Culture Code, The Culture Map, uh, I found really useful the ones on management the one minute manager um i think netflix also the netflix ceo has a really good book um which i really like but yeah just constantly kind of looking for for blogs articles information to absorb uh, and just try and feed them into the day-to-day -day. well one of the things we often forget is that there's so many people out there and especially when you're in a people type function and you're asking maybe some support or insights from other people persons I mean, these are the people that 
they're very keen to help out, right? I mean, these are the friendliest mm. group of people that you can engage with and especially, and also like internal recruiters, are, at least just speaking from my experience, um, it's, it's like a very sort of low ego um, group of people that are there to, to, to help out others, right? So definitely there's one thing that we keep forgetting is that, you know, there's other people you can reach out to and, and ask for support. Um, so here's a, I suppose it's a, it's a, it's a slightly controversial sort of question, right? But so you're doing the CIPD right now, and I've asked this mm -hmm. to a few people already, but, and there's always sort of differing opinions, right? I mean, ultimately, would you say that it's, 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 um, it's like hundred percent, well, maybe not hundred percent, but it's still worth getting that CIPD or would you say that, um, yeah, you know what, it's, it's, it's useful in many ways, but ultimately you, you can still sort of, you know, do the job without, without that certification. Yeah, it's, it is a, it's a good question. And I mean, I think there's, there's, yeah, if you've got a company who who wants you to do it and is willing to pay you for it, um, and you know, are also willing to maybe make allowances around your time, because you know, it is, I think it's something like 10 hours a week. So um, you know, you don't need to do all in the work day, but if they can allow some study days across a month, then I think that makes it you know an easy decision to make. Um, but I mean, in terms of what I've learned, um, I've learned more from my network and from just being in a company and doing than I have from CIPD to date. I guess there is another piece, you know, someone like myself as someone who I guess has the title of head of people, but maybe not the experience that people might expect. You know, if I did leave my tutor, which in the dream world, I never will, or will go on forever. But if I did leave, I guess there's a bit of a signaling piece there. So if you're someone who's looking to, you know, get ahead in the career or, um, or move around like it, it can add value there it's not necessarily the reason i was looking at but um yeah so in difficult question definitely learn more from doing rather than cpd um but where you've got a company that's willing to pay and, and is willing to allow you the time to work on it i think it, it it can be quite a good value add to your career well i can imagine that a lot of times um whether it's other people or maybe doing a cipd course or or hiring the right people, right? It's especially taking that first step at a at a company that's that's the toughest, right? Whether it's things like, okay, you know, we we don't have an onboarding process just yet, or it's very rough. So how do we create a good onboarding process? Or things like, okay, we don't exactly have a career sort of progression plan internally. So how do we create that from scratch, right? Um, so I just I just wanted to go through through your first sort of initial experiences because um, I kind of feel those are the most valuable. I mean, a lot of times when you hear, <clears throat> if you look for resources or podcasts or uh, blogs or whatever it is, a lot of times you'll hear um, resources from very established companies, right? Things like, oh, here's how Google did it, uh, you know, or oh, Babylon Health, this is how they developed their, mm -hmm. their uh, promotion process, or here's what Spotify does for employer brand. It's like, sure, I mean, come on, you, these companies, they've already been you know, around for quite some time and have already perfected it. But what about the company that is starting certain processes from scratch, right? That's, I feel, you know, if you're in a startup and you're creating things from scratch, that's I would say much more difficult than if you're already in a very established companies where it's 
where it's just about you know the day-to-day -day running of processes that are already in place right so i wanted to check in with you and see well to to start off with you know one of the things that you had to begin with was um i suppose an onboarding sort of project right like okay you know you're hiring at scale so we need a good sort of robust onboarding program how did that sort of start in the early stages mm -hmm. yeah so we, you know when i when i came into the role you know the velocity of the hiring we're doing was you know you know a couple of people a month uh, you know sometimes a bit more but what you what you did have was uh, you know a hiring manager who had probably run the whole onboarding uh, sorry hiring process themselves because we didn't have a recruiter this time so they sort of handled all the hiring and then in terms of the onboarding again they've got a huge amount of control over it you know they're only bringing one person so they can give them a lot of dedicated time so you know we always had good feedback on our onboarding but how scalable is that, particularly as we were now in a remote world moving incredibly fast. And in the first couple of months or when we started kind of going through our hyper growth and we were suddenly bringing in, you know, 20 people in a week, um, we, we did kind of come across some stumbling blocks and the onboarding definitely wasn't what we wanted it to be. Um, so 20 people in a week is insane, by the way. That's, yeah, that sounds like the craziest yeah it was that and it was just it was kind of that and then the next week you'd have kind of like 15 more so you didn't even really get much time to breathe you know particularly i mean for us for example we were building out a, a b2b ops function and we had to hire something like 20 20 something people came in in one week and they were the sort of the junior team members at which stage the managers hadn't joined who were also all brand new so they didn't join for a couple more weeks and then the the head of operations again came a little bit later so it wasn't an ideal structure for bringing anyone into the company. Um, so it put us under a huge amount of pressure and this is all remote, all in a very short space of time. So yeah, we, we definitely came under a lot of pressure with kind of how our onboarding, what it had been and, and how, how it needed to adapt. And I think for anyone who's, you know, I guess I'm speaking for someone who's maybe got a process in place that's rough, relatively manager led, um, you know, work at small scale and you're making that shift to, um, something a bit larger scale, I guess the, the best thing that we were doing luckily was collecting feedback on that process. So we do one, one month check-ins um, where we kind of send a short survey out to the, um, to the, the, the new joiner and then follow up with a, a personal meeting as well, just to get a little bit more context, because what that meant is that where we maybe hadn't had quite the onboarding experience that we wanted, um, we were able to collect feedback on and we were able to adapt to that. So, just about three months later, we basically had to do the whole process again, where we hired another kind of 25 people all joining in the same week, but we were kind of armed and ready. And I guess a couple of um, brief learnings on that we took from the feedback that, that people can maybe choose to take on board. One was around expectation setting. So just being really, really clear about what the onboarding process was going to be like, uh, where they'd find any info they needed, who they'd be speaking with, and what we expected them to learn over that period. Um, that was a really important one. Uh, the second one was really kind of hammering home wider business context, because again, having been smaller, having been in the office, you kind of assumed that within kind of a couple of weeks, people would pick up the business. We used to run some intro sessions, but what we found is that even after months in the business, the teams just didn't really know how anything worked, who fit in where, what each team did, because you know it's all remote. They'd, they were, you know, there's hundreds of people now they had to try and remember. 
So we really have to be deliberate in giving the, the new joiners that wider business context, because that can really just help you deliver on your role, really. Like context is always key when it comes to delivery. And then the last thing was a buddy system. So whereas before I was saying, you know, a manager give lots of dedicated time to an employee, it's their only hire, where we were suddenly bringing on like, you know, you know, a large amount of people, you've got one manager with seven people joining their team. There's no way they can give that same level of dedicated time. So it's just about using maybe people who were doing a similar role, but had been there a little bit longer, kind of partnering them up, making sure they've got someone to go to for the questions, someone that supports them. And not just on like a performance side, but also the softer side of things. Well, making sure that they're taking breaks, making sure that they know where the policies and processes are, that they join the socials. So those have been really, really like relatively easy to address, but had big impacts. And when we brought our second cohort of junior team members in, I think it was like another 20 something, we had like really, really great feedback and, and that team, you know, felt a lot more comfortable. So that that's kind of some of the learnings we took from shifting from a kind of a small scale onboarding to a larger scale onboarding. Well, I find it interesting that a lot of this, the, you know, the difficulty that you mentioned around onboarding, it kind of, kind of originates with, with remote working in certain ways. Right. I mean, don't get mm -hmm. me wrong. Like I love remote working. I love, you know, being at home and working as opposed to commuting and, uh, you know, being in an office and then commuting back, all of that, you know, you spend money, it's you're spending time commuting, all mm -hmm. of that. But one of the things that you miss and that I've sort of seen uh, in the past, and, and I kind of posted about this in the past on LinkedIn, but um, just just imagine all of the interactions you're, you're, you miss when you're at home, right? Like a lot of times mm -hmm. when we're learning about the business, the team, the technology or the culture it's through these small interactions you're having at work right at the office with other people face to face like you know you're you you just started at the company and you go to the kitchen and you bump into jeff and jeff is the customer service manager and you're like oh i didn't know that nice to meet you you know and that's you know all of those little interactions that sort of helps with um you know learning and and building a culture right so i suppose you know how do you how do you build that how do you replace that almost when you're fully remote um i mean are you guys fully remote or do you um do you plan to be like partially remote partially on site like what's what's your approach there mm. yeah it's a really interesting topic and I, 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 one i really personally quite enjoy and I was actually, it was in People's Stories, someone shared an interesting bit of research recently around uh, remote working and its impact. And a lot of people kind of talk around about collaboration with, with um, you know, how remote work can impact collaboration. But actually what this spoke about is that collaboration actually isn't impacted that much. But the bit that's massively impacted is the forming of relationships. So you know, where you are like proximity to someone is key to forming a relationship. And then what means the collaboration then comes off those relationships. So whereas I worked in my two to five years can go full remote when I'm working with my other, say, heads of department or, you know, close team members, we can collaborate, you know, almost as effectively as we as we could before remotely. But what you do really lose is that forming of relationships, which then has a massive cross cross business impact. So that's something that's very important to us is how we can make sure that, you know, that onboarding uh, phase of someone's journey 
is as impact as possible. They can form as many relationships to then help them deliver on their role. So in terms of what we'll be looking to do, we're, we're not 100% set on anything yet. Um, what, what we have committed to, though, is that when the restrictions are loosened a little bit um, for indoor mixing, we, we partner with a company called Desana. And what Desana do is they give you access to booking in uh, co-working spaces across London and actually outside of London and across the world as well. But I guess mainly it's a, it's a focus for us in London. And you can do that on a team level. You could book in with just a colleague that you're close with. You could book in with, you know, for your one-to-ones, you could do them in person. So we want to roll that out again. And, and the reason we want to do that is to start to get a sense of how people want to use the office you know, I've heard anecdotally people say they never want to go in again. There's people who say, as soon as it opens up, I want to be in every day. I think the, the general consensus of the bulk of people is, you know, I'd like to be in two to three days a week. Um, and But what we really want to do is understand like how people are using it. What we'll also do is probably survey the team and maybe do some workshops, because I guess the usage data won't capture much around the people who never use it. So just understanding from them, like what they're looking for, um, you know, what they'll need from the company moving forward in, if they were to stay fully remote. And then, and then it's a case of understanding, you know, what sort of office size we'll need. Uh, you know, maybe the research shows that we do that we need an office that fits 95% of the company at one time. And I think that's probably unlikely based on what we've heard. And maybe it's something like 60%. So what hopefully we'll have is a home base that can fix 60% of people. People can book in, come in, meet the team, collaborate. And probably in the onboarding phase, there might be more expectations around where they're based. Um, and and yeah, and, and I think that will that will suit us, I guess, for at least for the maybe medium term. You know, my tutor is a pretty fast growing company. And, you know, next year we could be 50 percent bigger again. So we're not going to be, want to be too tied to a location. Um, but definitely in the medium term, some sort of kind of um, hybrid way of working, I think, is thrown around where you've got people who can come in all the time, some that don't. Um, but like people who can book in and come flexibly is probably quite key because I guess for us, the principles are that we want to be inclusive, inclusive as possible for any decision we make. You know, we've seen the benefits that have come to maybe, uh, you know, families who can now spend more time uh, with their children. Um, so it's important that we're being inclusive with our decision making. We're not excluding people based on location as well. We can get the best people for that role not just that are nearby. So, you know, that will form a part of it. And again, we'll just listen to our employees, you know, what they're actually, what they want um, from an office and, and we'll look, do our best to deliver on that to make sure that everyone can perform at their best. Well, it's such a, it's such a controversial, well, I mean, I don't know if controversial, but it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of different opinions on this, right? I mean, if you were to ask me before the pandemic, like, Oh, you know, like, what do you think about remote working? It's like, yeah, we should have done that yesterday. You know, remote working is like, why aren't companies doing this? Um, but now during the pandemic, you're like, oof, you know, like you start asking yourself like, well, you know, I haven't seen my colleagues in a while. I haven't seen the office in a while. I haven't seen the city in a while. Um, you know, I've been at home all day. So this has really triggered sort of different opinions, right, on what the ideal sort of setup could be. Um, and I guess, you know, trying to, you know, that's one approach, right? Trying to understand your employees, what they want, and then trying to give them what they want is one of the ways that, well, you could maybe solve the um, the the challenge. Um, I, one thing that I wanted to, to go into outside of things like your first onboarding sort of 
project is. Well, I know under, I understand you mentioned early on, I think career progression was also something um, you needed to put in place for the first time, right? Or I don't know if you had some sort of basis at my tutor, but um, what was it like, you know, okay, you're a people person and now first things first is the, you know, career progression plan, right? How did that sort of originate at, um, at my tutor and how did you start implementing it? Sure, so the progression plan is, is something we're actually working on at the moment, you know, what progression looks like my tutor. So I'm very much in the midst of getting that sorted. Um, so to give like, the background on it, when we came into the role, you know, the company was a lot different. We were much smaller and, you know, you didn't necessarily need these structures in place. You know, it could be handled very easily by manager and the employee. There was easier to kind of place people across the company. So, you know, we've been looking in the past, myself, for example, moving into this role, we've had people move into product, into, you know, marketing, analytics, people move into manager roles. So it kind of wasn't really a conversation uh, when I first took on the role, people were relatively happy. Again, we're quite a young company and progression isn't too much of a problem until you kind of get a couple of years maybe into a company because you're thinking, well, where am I going next? If there's no clear path for you, why would I stick around? So we were kind of okay for a while because people who wanted it were kind of getting it. And a lot of people were relatively new joiners anyway, so they weren't that bothered at, the, uh, at that time. But what we've kind of now got is a company that's kind of, you know, 140-ish people. Um, and it's hard to kind of have the same level of conversation with all those people as you would have um, kind of when we were 50. And you've also got people who have been in the company for two to three years now who are started, starting to think, you know, what, what, does, what does my next three years look like? And we want to make sure we keep that top talent in the company. So what, what we found and, and kind of, you know, what sort of changes that we we um we survey our, our teams um every quarter we do an emps uh just to kind of get understand how things are going we look at like management structures how they align behind the company mission and, and we also talk a bit about progression so what we found um what we found start to come out around the 100 mark like 100 people mark is that um managers were like looking for a little bit more support to how they can have these conversations uh, and people were looking a little bit more kind of transparency, I guess, across the business, you know, maybe why decisions are made, um, you know, why has this person been promoted and I haven't? So giving people that view and just generally like supporting them so they have a clear understanding about what they need to do to, to get to that next level. So with that in mind, kind of started to look at kind of, well, actually the mistake we probably made early doors was we went at it with a very solution-orientated mindset of, we need a progression framework, right? That's the answer to this problem, um, which I actually kind of, the more we've gone through the process, probably was a mistake. You kind of um, hamstring yourself a little bit. If you go too solution orientated and we should have actually dug a little bit more into, into what we're trying to solve in the first place. But, you know, we went in kind of saying we need this framework in place. And I guess something that I'd be warning of for any kind of, you know, people uh, people person who's who's looking looking at this problem themselves is that you know there's huge amounts of resources online i think progression.fyi is a good one but what you get and i spoke to lots of companies as well you know from my people stories group but what you find is that you've got you know companies that look you know almost identical to you in size who say you know you need to go this way very light touch 
um, very minimalist, doesn't need to kind of be role specific, and that works perfectly. But then you've got other people who say, nope, that's a disaster. You can't do it that way. You need to go very role specific. Otherwise, it doesn't have you know enough detail for people to actually do anything. And you've got everyone's got kind of differing opinions um, about what what works well, what doesn't work well. And it can be a little bit daunting. I found it a little bit daunting as well. Kind of I just constantly be reading all these blogs about what works and you kind of get yourself in a spin. So I think kind of it's obviously important to to um, to, to research that stuff so you get a sense of what it can look like. But I think it's really just about understanding kind of where you are as a company you know, what's your, what, what is the culture like? What is your view on progression? Like how you want it to work? And I think understanding that whatever you deliver is probably not going to be loved by all. And it's probably going to be a very much just a V1, you know, don't overcommit to some huge framework um, with lots of detail that just needs changing again in a year's time because it's not fit for purpose. So we've kind of gone for the approach of being very light touch um, across the business Um and not role specific so it can you know it can we can always add detail in later but it's quite hard to pull pull the detail back so we've gone light touch and it's really just about you know getting that manager buy-in as well that's been really important uh, because if they're not bought in and the senior leadership aren't bought in then you might as well just throw it in the bin well you mentioned something quite interesting which is there's there's such an information overload out there right i mean you know every company you ask and every Maybe people person or recruiter you ask will have a different opinion. Every blog you read will have a different approach to things. <laughs> so then it's like, okay, so what do I what do I pick from out of this? You know, is there a right way or a wrong way? So I guess it's more just looking internally first and really identifying what the, you know, what the blockers, problems, issues are, as opposed to picking a very off-the-shelf um type type solution that, oh, just because X company is doing it. Let's just take exactly what they're doing, copy it, paste mm -hmm. it, and then just put it internally, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I think another thing that you mentioned was, okay, so, you know, that buy-in, um, you know, one colleague told me as the people person, you can't expect to do, you know, the whole people strategy and implement it in one go, right? Yeah. A lot of the role that, you know, I've, I've noticed is a lot of it is stakeholder management and not necessarily you executing things, but getting hiring managers or um, you know other just just managers in general executing the people strategy, um, and the thing is you're not necessarily managing the managers, right? You're you're maybe at a similar level, and you're a mm -hmm. team, and then it's more a case of influencing as opposed to giving directives, right? So it's more a case of convincing your mm -hmm. colleagues of of the approach and what's the right way. To do things as opposed to oh this is this is the way we're doing it so go right yeah exactly i i always like to think of it a little bit like um in american politics you know called like chief whip it's <laughs> like uh you've got to get a, can you get enough votes in to push something through and i think it's quite similar you know you you can have you can have all these you know great ideas that maybe other great companies are doing or this is the way it should be but ultimately can you get the managers to actually buy into it can you convince them to do it and particularly, can you get them to do it when you're not watching as well? I think that's the important thing um, because it's fine for them to kind of go through the training and say they'll do it, but are they actually doing it? So um, yeah, that's super important. And I guess what we find quite useful is, and what we try and do at my tutor is just that it's the context is, is, context is key. 
um, you know, not trying not to be too controlling with like heavy processes and policies, but give them the context of like why this is important um, and why it's why it should be followed. And then they can have some processes that they they then can kind of be guided with. That's what we go for. Well, it's kind of like you 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 mentioned this also. It's like, okay, this is version one. I mean, and starting small, right? Like, okay, let's start small. This is the first step. And then let's see how it goes. And then based on how it goes, then you can maybe tweak the process. You know, it's you you gotta avoid maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe avoid making huge um, you know, game-changing sort of uh, what's a good way of putting it, you know, um, changes really into your people's strategy that are so huge that people are going to maybe think, you know what, Ooh, that's really crazy. That's that's maybe tough to implement or I don't entirely agree with it, but it's more a case of, okay, let's start small and let's start with the first version and then see how that goes. And then, you know, build, you know, little by little, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's actually one of the I think a key part for a sort of a senior people person it's it's not only kind of having an idea of what you're going to do but also maybe what you're not going to do um and kind of almost getting buy into that as well so you know we're picking up progression frameworks now which means that you know for the past year I've been in this role we haven't looked at it and it's just being really clear about you know why that isn't a priority at this moment in time so people aren't kind of like pushing from all stuff and, and being too noisy. So it's being really focused about what you can achieve, you know, being realistic about how much you can actually get someone to buy in. You know, if in the same quarter you were trying to roll out, you know, progression, performance, new onboarding, interview training, and you know, all this stuff, realistically, it's not all going to stick. So being really selective yep. <laughs> and understanding like what you can get to, to to roll out. Well, one of the things that, you know, talking about rolling out new new projects is, uh, you know, you mentioned to me in the past that well-being is one of the key things that you that, you know, you're passionate about. Right. Um, was it specifically like mental well-being or, um, you know, maybe can you tell me of that aspect and sort of how how you've approached it when starting your your people role? Yeah, so I think I mean, well-being's become incredibly, incredibly important at my tutor. And I guess the past year since lockdown, and, and I think the same the same goes, you know, for all companies really. But I think for us initially, before we were thinking about well-being in of itself, it was probably around like um, equality, diversity, and inclusion. Um, because I think if you think about the wheel about the areas that can be impact, I guess like mental health does does feed into that. Um, so initially, kind of the work we were doing was sort of feeding in off the back of that. Uh, diversity inclusion stuff so making sure that we've got an environment that can make everyone prosper and everyone can work at their best an open environment where people can be themselves you know it's okay to be overworked it's okay to be you know you know uh, a little bit stressed and, and or anxious that's fine and trying to like build out a culture that allows that stuff and then I guess that was kind of how we were working and and then really I guess when lockdown happened there was a lot of like talk into um you know the impact on people's well-being um that's come and, and it really became a big focus for us um i you know i personally have gone through mental health first aid training which i would highly recommend any uh, people person does go through but we've got probably four of the people across the business who have gone through it we're currently putting through eight more so we've really got them placed across the business so they can kind of spot signs early help champion initiatives that we're doing um but yeah 
uh, well-being has is, is, is definitely been an important piece for us in this past kind of, you know, eight to 10 months. And was there a particular sort of approach to it? Like, I suppose it comes back to, you know, speaking with colleagues and, and researching it. Um, I suppose, what was the first step? Was it more like, okay, you did the training, the mental health sort of training, or or did diversity come first? You know, like, okay, let's maybe put out the right initiatives and um, and maybe sort of internal communications where we communicate to people that it's, you know, it's okay to to have whatever sort of mental health issues or if you're overworked, was that maybe the first step or sort of how did it start from the beginning? Yeah, so I think I think that the the most important thing was building well-being into our strategy. So getting and I guess from that, that means getting buy-in from a senior level who, you know, who will have you on our strategy, getting their buy-in that actually well-being is like an important aspect of the employee experience and you know you know wellness in general so i think the first part was making sure that you know the senior leadership team and your team kind of bind the fact that this is in this is an important piece because then when you're trying to kind of trying to give people autonomy to come up with initiatives and drive change across the business they know that this is a, this can be at the heart of it so they'll make the right decision they'll 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 pick the you know a policy that supports well-being they'll pick a, a social that can support in some way so I think that was the first part getting it like in in the strategy the second piece we've talked a lot already but just getting that buying across the company at a senior level so yes it's in the strategy but okay you know senior leadership team do you actually buy into this are you going to um, actually you know champion this behavior are you going to lead by example because one of the things we found was that you know as a people team we could start to say Oh, you know, here's here's an extended lunch. Here's flexible working. Here is you know wellness coaching. Here's yoga, but were people using them? Not as much as we'd like. And when we actually dug down into it, people didn't feel that they could. You know, they felt a little bit pressured to be at work. And then if you dig in further, you look at the managers who are saying that's fine, you can go, but then they work through their lunch, or they say that's fine, leave, but then they work late. You know, it, the the signalling that gets sent down. It's hard to kind of com combat that, even if you're saying one thing but then doing another, it's very difficult. So the, a really big part for us was like getting that buy-in, but then getting managers actually leading by example. Um, and then, and then yeah, it's just about constant reinforcement. So if we say there's an initiative, um, we always make sure to caveat and say, if it's over lunch, by the way, you can still take your lunch hour. You know, it's just kind of being really deliberate with the communication we're making and making it clear that people can kind of look after themselves. Um, because ultimately, you know, if someone takes an extra three hours of time so they can attend some sort of training, but then also have their lunch, they're probably going to be far more productive than if they just work through lunch or something. Yeah, well, that's so interesting. I never thought about it that way. But, you know, managers saying, yeah, you know, you can you can take your break, you can take your, you know, maybe go for lunch or use, you know, go for a yoga session. But then managers not really using the you know, the benefits, right? And maybe going just just working through through the lunch hour. I mean, that's so interesting. I never thought of it that way. But just the signaling of, you know, you know, you need to, you need to, you know, walk, walk the walk, right? Not just talk the talk as they <laughs> as they say, but actually just 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 do as as you say you're going to do, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, you know, you, I think managers forget how influential they can be, you know, people look up to them, 
people are in their role, you know, they perceive, you know, you are kind of almost who I want to be if I want to progress well. So if you see a behavior modeled, they'll probably, even if it's subconsciously, try and mirror it because they're saying, well, this is what they did to be successful. I want to do the same. And I think that's generally a pretty big principle across all of people. You know, another one is companies often have like behaviors and values. We have them at my tutor as well. And if you know you can say one thing but if it isn't being modeled by the c-suite if it isn't being modeled by senior leaders then it, they're just sort of pretty useless words and people are just gonna not do them and probably do the things that you know the the senior leadership are actually doing they'll model those behaviors um because that's what they'll see as successful so y- again you have to be careful with this stuff and make sure you've got the the right buy-in and people are leading by example yeah, and also you you know it's closely related to that, but there's that peer pressure, right? I mean, mm. you know, if you're if you're an employee, and uh, you know it's maybe five o'clock, and you're planning to leave at five o'clock, but you know five other employees are still there, right? And the manager is still at the office. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, oh, do I? No one's left yet. But you know, like, do I leave now or do I wait for someone else to leave <laughs> first? Um, you know, I don't want to be the first one to leave the office right so you know it's like that oh i gotta you know if i leave first then i'm gonna be seen as mm. maybe lazy or something like that so you know there's always that peer pressure to 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 do as other people do right so mm. you know if, if leadership starts first with, with like okay guys you know it's five o'clock and i gotta go you know whatever it is do do whatever you know then people are gonna be like oh you know what okay you know it's you know, it's okay to leave at five o'clock or it's okay to go for that yoga session. And, um, and well, long-term, you know, that session is going to help you be more productive and relaxed um, at work. Right. And just mm-hmm. for yourself, really, you know, not just to make you more productive, but just to make you just an overall happier person. Absolutely. And I think, um, like you said, the you know, managers leading by example, you know, if I'm going to leave at five and another thing we try and say is that, you know, realistically, senior leaders in the business are going to have to work late. It happens all the time. I know no one wants to say it, but like sometimes you do have to work through lunch, but making it the exception rather than the norm. And and one thing we try and champion is if, okay, I've got to stay late. You can kind of signal it. That's fine. Let, you know, let the team know that this isn't something you want to be doing. Oh, you know, maybe in your stand-up say that, you know, I've been a little bit overworked on X project, uh, which has meant I've had to stay late, but we're getting extra resource from across the business. So that should go to normal. So again, champion the behavior where you can and just signaling that when it, you are doing something that like it isn't normal and this isn't what we expect uh, for for more information about yourself will and you know about uh, the work you do and and also i believe the the hr group you mentioned where can we find mm-hmm. out more information about yourself you know linkedin twitter anything like that yeah so uh, i'm just on just on linkedin so will beaton b-e-a-t-o-n um, always happy to be connected with by, um, you know, fellow people, professionals or, or anyone and, and chatted to. And then People Stories is the the network I'm in. Uh, maybe I can share the, the link to the page. We have a Notion page that's public. Um, loads of great resources on there and there's a form you can fill out to join. So happy to share that as well if people can't find it. There is a LinkedIn group for People Stories as well. So you might be able to find it on there. Excellent. I will add the links in the episode description. And uh, well, thank you so much for your time. It's been very informative. Um, you know, I quite like you know the the trajectory you've 
you've made for yourself and uh you know hopefully we'll talk again soon about any new developments um thanks again yeah fantastic thank you so much for having me it's been really enjoyable it was great catching up with will his online profile is in the episode description if you like this podcast then please subscribe or follow we're on spotify apple and all major platforms thanks again and stay safe